0: my name is Luke. I'm part of the leadership team here at Josh Jen Mulnerton. If you have any questions or anything you want to ask or comments, please feel free to come up to me at the end of the service. I'd love to get to know you, meet you, and answer whatever questions you might have. Is that cool? Okay, no. Who said no? Someone say no. Um, <laughs> we, um, just for our visitors, as a church Joshua generation, we We make every effort to try and follow the Holy Spirit in everything we do, so many services are quite different. So normally a service, normally we start the welcome and announcements, but there was just such a beautiful sense of the presence of God here this morning that we just wanted to jump straight into worshiping Him. And normally we would have a band, but we actually just felt this morning that let's just sing, hey? If we can get together as brothers and sisters and just release praise and worship without a band, how much more when there is a band? So I think it's amazing, guys. And to everyone, well done for leaning in this morning. Well done for following the Holy Spirit and for giving your voice to to worship this morning. Well done. I want to do one more formality. One more formality while I'm being super professional. Um, Are there any birthdays in the house? I know of two. I know of two Charmaine and Joel. Any other birthdays in the house? Can I ask. Daryl, when? Daryl, come here. Can I ask you guys to come stand in front here quick? Which one will ask you your biggest regret in life? <laughs> your birthday, too. Come stand in front here, man. Hey, I like it. Okay. So, this is Daryl, guys. Everyone knows Daryl. This is Joel. Joel is an aspiring moustache grower. Um, We've got some powerful moustaches in this congregation, so welcome home, bro. Like, you're with your people. And this is the perfect and wonderful Charmaine. Um, before we continue any further birthdays are important because family are important and people matter so I want to encourage you take your religious spirit and push it down Beryl my wife's birthday, isn't it on Friday? My wife's birthday. is your birthday it is next week Friday, next week Friday. <laughs> Beryl thanks for reminding me <laughs> come up come up yeah. <laughs> Mys- myself and Elaine and a group of us aren't going to be here next Sunday we're traveling to Bloemfontein to go minister at the regional equip there so happy birthday Elaine um, so I'm to take a m- one moment longer for a special occasion so everyone's received a gift Joel you've got two wow look at you guys okay, okay. And what happens is, when there's a birthday in the house, Charmaine is taking it upon herself to actually run with us and make people feel special and really put in a lot of effort. And I want to give you this, Charmaine. Yeah. I, I don't want to be prideful and boast, but I climbed Table Mountain at 3 o'clock this morning and hand-picked these. With, the willy <laughs> with a Willie Willie sticker. Thank you, Sean for everything you mean to us and everything you do for us. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday Happy birthday to you. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Amazing. All right. I want to thank, guys, happy birthday, amazing. I want to thank, yesterday was the gathering, amazing. I want to thank Dave and Chloe, Where are you guys? Just stand up for a second, please. Chloe, come. Big clap, big clap, come on, come on. I, I want to thank you guys, not only for serving yesterday and doing it so well, but for the life of serving that you've chosen to live. You are a gift to us and a gift to the body of Christ. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you. Okay. I feel like one or two other things. I feel like just jump into what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. Is that cool? It's, I want to give you a heads up. I don't think it's going to be my most polished sermon because the Holy Spirit woke me up at 4.45, maybe 4.43 this morning just to lay this on my heart, and it's something I want to put before us, and I think it's a very important thing, and it's something Andrew has been touching on for the past week and a bit, and it's something that even us as elders have felt in the Lord over the past couple of weeks. So I genuinely believe this is of God. I believe God is on this. I believe God is wanting to do something in us as a group, in us as a group, and knit our hearts together and build us together. Is that cool? Sorry to publicly rebuke Ben there, he's distracting me. Um, So we all know, and for those of you that don't, we are a church that is part of an apostolic field. Our apostolic field is? Our apostolic field is? 4.12. And it's based on the scripture of Ephesians 4.12. And I'd like to read 4.11 to 4.13 to us this morning. This is (laughs) Mullington. And it says it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Talking about he, Jesus. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's peoples for people for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, yeah, we see four twelve, who we're a part of, and the the heart behind four twelve is for the equipping of the saints, that you and I can be in complete unity of faith and come into the fullness of what God has for us. The NLT says it this way: it says. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So all of this, everything we do, what we are a part of, our existence to disciple nations, to evangelize, to reach the world for Jesus, all of this comes down to what it says here in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. All of this is so that the body of Christ, us, that we may be built up to reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we may become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So you come to church not because it's a good idea. You come to church not to tick the box. You come to church not even to evangelize. The purpose of us doing what we do is so that the church, all of us, can be built up in unity of faith. That our faith, who we are, what we believe, our purpose can become one. And that we grow in our knowledge of Christ. And in that, we become mature. In that, we become the fullness of Christ. So what does a mature Christian look like? Well, according to what Paul writes here, a mature Christian looks like someone that is united in faith and that has a knowledge of the Son of God. And we begin to see everything we do is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and grow in our unity as a body. In fact, Paul goes on even further to say this in, well, let me first say this. The word unity here means, it's a Greek word, guys. Henoteta. Probably not how you pronounce it. But let's just go with it for now. So when we talk about unity, it means oneness. Many parts so intricately connected, so intimately bound together that they look at the many parts and the only way to describe it is one. So when people look at us as a body of Christ, As a church of believers, as followers of Jesus, and they see many different people, they will see such an agreement, such a harmony, such a unity, that they would look at us and go, that is one. Many parts, so united, that it can only be described as one. So 4.12, the apostolic field that we're a part of, the the mission that we feel god has given us is to equip the saints and how do we do that unity and faith and the knowledge of christ oneness and knowing jesus the other scripture that us as a church holds on to and builds with quite Quite significantly, quite foundationally is Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that's another scripture that us in Joshua generation hold on to. They devoted themselves. But how did this begin? How did they get to a place of devotion to the apostolic, of devotion to prayer, of devotion to fellowship, of devotion of breaking bread? In the same chapter in verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So we see a couple of chapters later, a devoted people, but the journey begins with a united people, all together in one place. In the previous chapter in Acts, where the whole church of Acts begins, it says this. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All of these, with one accord. To be in one accord means to be in absolute harmony. Harmony. To be in absolute agreement with nothing, with no opinion or preference or, or this is just who I am sticking out. Where you're so committed to the, the, the union that God is creating that you squeeze whatever your preference is, whatever your bend is. You bring it in so it's an absolute harmony that there's no disagreement and it's all of one accord. In Acts 4.32 it says this. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his, was his own, possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. All believers were in one heart and one mind. So as a movement, we hold on to 4.12, and we hold on to Acts 2.42. And what does it say in 4.12? It says this. It says that you would be in unity and faith and growing in the knowledge of Jesus. And that's what maturity looks like in Christ. Unity. And now it says in the other scripture we hold, Acts 2.42, it begins to paint a picture that they were in complete unity with one heart, one mind, one purpose, Jesus. They were in one accord. And what I love about this is that the unity that we see, this pattern that we see, it wasn't a theoretical unity. It wasn't me sitting in the back row going, yeah, I'm, I'm united, I'm in. We see a unity in practice, not only in principle. It says that they were all together in one place, in one accord, seeking God, doing the same thing. One heart, one mind. And it wasn't just, I'm in unity. Unity. It was actually putting that unity into action. That unity looked like something. And that is what I want to share with us this morning and discuss with us this morning. What does it look like to be a united people? To be a united bride? What does it look like if we're wanting to do 4.12 and Acts 2.42? What are the two principles and foundations and pillars that both of those hang on? It hangs on unity and faith and the person of Jesus. Jesus. And every single, every single person here today is here for the person of Jesus. But what I want to encourage us to do is be here for unity too. You can't achieve both. You can't achieve that without both. You have to be here for the person of Jesus. But you can't be on your own island, on your own mission, trying to, oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, that's not what he came and died for. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying you need to have Jesus in everything, but also you need to have each other in everything. And these are the two building blocks of the church of Acts. We try and replicate and recreate this beautiful expression of church and live out in modern day times what we see in the church of Acts. But yet we lack in our unity because what the world tells you to do is be an individual. What the world tells you to do is be your true self. What Jesus tells you is that if you come into my bride and you become one with each other, you will be more than you ever could be on your own. Unity in faith. Harmony. One accord. No disagreement. Mind, heart, soul united with each other. Our unity has to look like something. It can't just be easy to say. It has to be put into practice. We have to live it out in our values, in our words, in our actions, in our heart, in our mind. Everything we do has to live this unity out. And I want to encourage some of us this morning. Some of us, our, our disunity is not even in our outward expression, but our in, internal expression. Some of us are doing all the right things on the outside. Ticking all the right boxes. But inside our hearts are pulled away a little bit. Inside our hearts are shifting a little bit. And I want to explain to us this morning via scripture why unity is one of the most important fundamental principles in the kingdom of God. We've seen now in the church of Acts, we've seen Paul writing in Ephesians 4.12. And it says this in Ephesians 4 verse 3. It says, make every... Okay. We'll read that one. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. The Amplified says this, make every effort, every effort, it's also wrong. I must have different versions. Update that one. Listen to this. You can take that down. It says make every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit. Make every effort to be united. Every individual working together to make the whole successful. So Paul's writing here and he's saying the foundations of the church are unity and faith in Christ. And now he's saying make every effort. Don't hold anything back. Do everything you possibly can do for unity. Whatever you can do, whatever you need to do, do whatever is in your, in your ability. Do whatever is possible to fight for unity. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. Another translation puts it this way. Be faithful to God, the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you. In the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit, as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Be faithful to God, the harmony here. You might feel, I'm just having a bad day. You don't have the right to have a bad day because your bad day is going to cost the person to your left. Your bad day is going to cost the person to your right. What does maturity look like? It looks like unity. It looks like me putting aside my bad day, me putting aside my bad mood and going, I'm actually here for a greater cause above myself. And we need to give ourselves continually to that. With every effort, be faithful to God, the harmony. And it says that we are one body and one spirit called into the same glorious hope of destiny. So now we look at this picture. Unity is not only the measurement of maturity. Unity is also one of the keys to unlocking our destiny. Unity is not only... The measurement of maturity in Christ. But us united is the keys to unlocking each person's individual destiny. Paul writes this in Romans 12 verse 4 and 5 and he says, Just as each of us has one body with many members and these bodies do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many from one body in each member belongs to the others. All of us together form one body. Though we are many parts, we form one body. And it says each member belongs to the other. I have to walk in what God has for me so that you can walk in what God has for you. And you've got to walk in what God has for you so that I can walk in what God has for me. If we are all members of the body coming together to be one, You hold the keys to my destiny in your hands. You hold the keys to my destiny in Daryl's hands, Daryl's destiny. And so we begin to see this picture of how, though we are many parts, God is bringing us together, not only for the sake of unity, but for the sake of destiny. And Paul writes this a little bit further. I'm just going through some scripture so we can understand this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So is it with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we've all received the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if your whole body were just one big ear, then how, how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and He has put each part just where He wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. While other parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members would care for each other equally. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Now all of you are together Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So I know it's a big chunk of scripture, but I want to break it down for you a little bit. Paul writes here and says there are many parts, all part of one body. He goes on to say even those parts that think you're not important or maybe you're not preaching or leading, he says the hidden parts, the parts that seem undignified to the natural eye, in God's eyes are the most precious, are the most valuable. So I want to encourage you, don't underestimate your value and your worth. Don't underestimate your function and what you bring to the body of Christ. Don't look with a natural eye, but see with the spiritual eye. And know that you play a vital role in the body. Missing one part or one piece changes the entire body. And verse 25 there says, When you're playing your part, when I'm playing my part, This makes for harmony among the members. The ESV says this. Let there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. No division. What causes division in the body? Because Paul's saying, let there be no division. What causes division in the body is complaining. And and ringing, I'm teasing. Just take a message. What causes division in the body? Paul says this, let there be no division in the body. Your function, who you are, your role, your part, coming together for perfect unity, perfect harmony. Let there be no division. What causes division then? the first thing that begins to cause division in the body is complaining. I want to be this. I want to be that. Why am I not playing this role? Why am I not having this function? I am not happy. I am not content. Why me? And complaining is the first thing that begins to creep in and bring division in the body. And we underestimate how bad complaining is. Paul writes in Philippians 2.14 and says this, verse 15, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Yeah, Paul writes and says, let your lives shine brightly before them. And he starts off by saying, stop complaining, stop moaning. Stop bickering. Whatever you do, stop that. Because the problem with complaining is it never stops there. When you're constantly complaining over your plot and your circumstance, what happens is that complaining, like sin, begins to grow and develop. And complaining eventually becomes comparing. Where it's no longer just I'm unhappy. It's why are they happy. It's no longer just why am I doing this. It's why aren't they doing this. And instead of just staying in a place of complaining, we look at the other person. They get to do that. They get to do this. They, what about them? I've seen the lives that they live. They don't even love God. They don't even serve God. They've got this sin. And what started off as a simple, innocent, oh, I'm not that happy about this, slowly but surely begins to breed. And slowly but surely begins to grow and develop And what started as a little complaint now becomes you comparing yourself to others. Look how they live. Why does God bless them? Look how they live. Why are they a leader? Why not me, God? And the challenge is this. When we begin to compare with each other, it leads to the thing that breaks the body. We begin to compete the very person or part that we are called not only to complement but to complete has now become our competition. Instead of me coming alongside Adam and complimenting him and completing him as the body of Christ, i now come and I begin to compete because I started off complaining, why doesn't Adam pack out chairs? Why isn't Adam here early? Why has Adam got it so easy? Why hasn't he been through what I've been through? And I start complaining. And then that complaining gives birth to comparing. And before I know it, that comparing becomes competition. Where it's no longer him just being another part of the body. It's I want to be more important than him. I want to be more significant than him. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. And the very thing that God has brought us into to complete to make whole, to bring unity, we begin to war against and fight against because we allowed a complaint to enter into our hearts. Complaining little bit by little bit, drip by drip, gives birth to comparison. And comparison, when you stay in a place of comparison, eventually it'll breed and give birth to competition. And competition is cancer to the body of Christ. Christ because it turns us against each other. It does the exact opposite of unity. So if you are here this morning and there's some complaints in your heart, I want to encourage you, don't play with them. Don't entertain them. Because you'll look again and the Bible says that when you follow your desires and you're tempted by your desires, it says that desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. I'm telling you this morning that staying in a place of complaining will cause you to compare with others. And if you go into comparison, eventually you'll find yourself in a place of competition where you're waging war against the very thing that Christ died for. You're opposing the body of Christ himself. Silence, that inner voice that wants to complain. Wants to compare and wants to compete. David, the wisest king, the greatest king that's ever lived, writes this in Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls in the mountains of Zion. For the Lord has commanded the blessing. For there the Lord has commanded his blessing and life forevermore. Where there is unity, God commands a blessing. Where the brothers and the sisters and the family of God dwell in unity, it is pleasant, it is beautiful, it is irresistible to God. Where there is unity, you will find God. Jesus says if two or three agree, there He is in their midst. So unity is not just a nice idea, but our lack of unity might be costing us the presence of God. Our lack of unity might be breaking up the body of Christ. And your unity might not even be an outward expression. It might just be in your heart. I don't like Luke. He's got tattoos. I don't like Luke. He's too loud and too, I don't know, front-footed or aggressive. Might be, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the worship this morning. I prefer. And slowly but surely, you've allowed a seed of division to enter your heart. And you're now pulling against the bride and the body of Christ your lack of unity, a simple complaint. I would go so far as to say this, unless you're fully in unity, you're in disunity. Unless you're fully in it, you're out of it. My hand is either attached to the body or not. There's no second option. If it's not attached to the body, it's not a part of my body, and it begins to die and decay, and it leaves a wound on the body of Christ. So watch even the smallest little shadows in our heart. And be careful of the conversations, even inside we entertain. You could be bringing division into the body of Christ. Paul writes this in Colossians 3.14 and he says, And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. So even here, we must love above all else. Love. Why? Why? Not simply for the sake of loving because love binds us together in unity and harmony. So the desire, the end goal, the whole point of love isn't just loving for the sake of loving. We must love because it brings us together. It brings unity. It brings harmony. It brings us into one accord. That is why we love. Not just for the sake of loving. It doesn't stop there. Love, unless it brings you into unity, lacks maturity. And immature love says, I love you, and high fives and walks on. And mature love says, I love you, and I am with you. One heart, one mind, one purpose in Christ. The whole point of even love is to bring us into a place of unity. Romans 12, 18 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul's writing and says, do whatever you can do. If you're offended, if you're hurt, if you're upset, do whatever you can do to live in peace, to be in harmony, to be in unity. Some of us here today have broken relationships. Some of us here today, there are people in our lives that were offended or they've hurt us. Something has happened, but we're lacking unity. We're lacking peace. And Paul is saying "Yeah, whatever it takes, do whatever you can. If at all possible, fight for unity and live in peace. The NLT, it says, oh, do all you can that lives in peace. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says this. I appeal to brothers in Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And this is such a challenging one. Do you know why? Every single one of us has an opinion. And every single one of us is fully convinced that our opinion is the most important and the best. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them. Otherwise, I would just believe what you believe and... You believe what I believe. But the reality is that God has given us a mind. God has given us thoughts. God has given us wisdom, discernment, intellect. But when that's not in unity, it comes in disagreement. It comes in division. And so even that we have to figure out in the Lord, how do we come together, different minds, different thoughts, but yet find unity and be of one heart, one mind. And not bring division, even with our thoughts and opinions and preferences. How do we submit one to another? How do I do one another in honor? And he says, I appeal to you. Paul's basically saying, I beg you. Agree with one another. Let there be no divisions among you. Be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul writes this to the church in Philippians. And he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. He's saying to the church there the thing that's going to make me really happy, the thing that's going to make me really joyful, the thing that's going to make me celebrate is to see you united. The thing I want more than anything else is to see you of one heart, one mind, in one accord. That's what he wants. Peter says in one Peter three verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We see Paul saying, "Complete my joy by being one." We see Peter saying, "Finally, at the end of everything, everything I've taught you, everything I've said, the full stop, the conclusion of my of his entire life is this. Finally, all of you have unity." Of mind. Paul, Peter, David, all of these incredible men of God, every single one says, Fight for unity. Do whatever you can do to live in harmony and to live in peace with one another. Whatever you can do. And Jesus says this in John 17. I want to give a backstory to this. Many of us, for, for, for most of us, the Lord's prayer is this Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Correct? It's wrong. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, Okay, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. So technically, that's the disciples' prayer. What we're seeing here is actual Jesus praying to His Father in heaven. This is not Jesus teaching others how to pray. We are listening in a conversation. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to go through everything that He has to go through and leave earth and ascend into heaven. And the final thing He says to His Father, he praying to His Father says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about the disciples there. I'm not only praying for. My dis- back. I'm not only praying for my disciples, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their message. Us. that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus isn't praying that you would be blessed. Jesus isn't praying that you would be prosperous. Jesus isn't praying that you would be used mightily in the nations. His final prayer, His final request after everything He's done, says, Father, if you could do me one favor, if you could do one thing for me, please, make them one. As you and I are one. Make them one. And he goes to say that the world will look at this and believe that you've sent me. The world is not going to look at our signs and wonders. The world isn't going to look at your eloquent preachers and your amazing singing. The world is going to look at a group of people so in love, so united, that they can only be described as one. They're going to look at that and go, that is a miracle of God. That makes me believe in Jesus by our oneness. Galatians 3, verse 28 says this There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. We started off the conversation this morning. Even in worship. One song, one heart. No one was leading. One. And then we started off this conversation talking about 4.12. Where Paul writes and says, We're doing all of this stuff. We're building church. We have apostles and and prophets and teachers and evangelists. We have all of these things so that we can become united in faith. And that we can grow in our knowledge of Jesus. And that's what maturity looks like. And then we look in the book of Acts in 2.42. They were devoted. But before they were devoted, they started off united. It was the unity of the people gathered around Christ that led to a devoted bride, that led to the church of Acts, walking in everything that God has for them. We then see Paul writing and saying, above all else, fight for unity. Let no division come among you. You're all part of the same body, different parts, different functions. Don't think less of yourself because the hidden parts are the most vital parts. Don't want to be an eye or a mouth or a face. If you're a heart that is hidden and gets no exposure, know that the body can live without an eye, but it can't live without a heart. Don't underestimate or undermine who you are in God. Don't complain about your life. Don't compare yourself to others. And don't compete against the body that is called you to complete. Peter looks at us and says this, finally, Peter the apostle, I've lived my life. I've chopped off ears. I've denied Jesus. I've walked on water. I've done everything there is to do. And my final statement is above all else, be united. He doesn't say above all else, raise the dead. Above all else, tell the world about Jesus. Above all, he says above all else, be united. And then Jesus, His last prayer, His last conversation with His Father, He says, Father, I have one request. One request. That they would be one as you and I are one. Because if they're united, the world will look at them and know that you sent me. The problem with being a part of the body And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Your life belongs to me and my life belongs to you. We've been given our gifts and our lives in the service of others. As a hand, a hand will never experience the taste of the food it lifts, the feet will never experience the beauty of the places it walks. But yet still the hand serves so the body can live. Still the feet walk so the body can move. The heart will never experience the life that it pushes day in and day out into the body. But still the heart faithfully pumps because it knows it has a function and a part. And one day it wants to stand before God and go, I've done everything I can do. And God will look and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Your faithfulness is not your ministry. It's not your calling. It's not what you do with your life for your own promotion. Your faithfulness will be determined on how you serve the body, on how you bless others, on how you live your life in a way that you might never here on earth receive the reward of your efforts but we do it for Jesus because he did that for us. And I want to encourage us as a group of people, above all else, fight for unity in this house. Every one of us has opinions. Every one of us has preferences. I do. I like the crazy, messier stuff. I'm not going to 3 out of 10 of how messy I'd like to be, guys. I'm really restricted. But I can't let my preferences, even me leading the congregation, I can't let my preferences what I want lead. I've got to have an Eddie, an Anton, an Adam, an Ian, a Jethro, I've got to have Divan, a Mavin, and Siki, I've got to have guys around me that add to the body, otherwise I'm just a wandering hand with no purpose and limited function. But as God builds us together and we submit one to another and we honor each other and we build into each other, we start to become the fullness of Christ here on earth. We start to become the mature body of believers that he has called us to be. So you want to grow in your maturity. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You want to grow in the fullness of Christ. You want to live in everything that God has for you. Give yourselves to the body of Christ. Give yourselves to being united. Give yourselves to unity. Give yourselves to serving one another. And forget your calling. Forget your preferences. Forget what you want. And say, God, I am here for the sake of unity. I am here to complete your body. I am here to play my role and fulfill my function, whatever it looks like whatever it takes. We are all one in Christ. I want to ask us to stand for a moment. We're going to pray. When the Lord woke me up this morning at some crazy four o'clock hour, I knew that he wanted to put a challenge to us. I couldn't even narrow down all the scriptures on unity and harmony and one accord in the New Testament. They are countless. It's a repetitive theme. In every single one of Paul's epistles, he speaks about the body. He speaks about harmony. He speaks about unity in every single one of Paul's letters. This is the theme he drums home. Whatever I've taught you, whatever, you've, whatever you believe, whatever you've grown, whatever your life consists of, let it be towards unity. Let it be towards the body. And Jesus comes and says, I have one desire, that you would be one. That you would be one. And this morning I want to put that challenge to, toward us and to us as a group. Are you complaining about your life and your situation and your circumstance? Are you comparing yourself to others? Are you competing even? The shadows in your heart, the inner conversations you have, are you allowing your preferences and your opinions and what you think to sow seeds of division in your heart? And you don't know it now because it's just a seed. But until we take that out, that seed is going to take root and you're going to be finding yourself dividing the very thing that Christ came to unite. And in unity, it's something we fight for. It's something we, above all else, we go for. But we have to fight division and resist it and and move away from it. And give ourselves wholly and fully. And not on our terms and our conditions. But for unity's sake.